Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Annie Snyder. One of the wonkier storylines of the Biden administration's environmental work has been its efforts to rejigger the way the federal government accounts for costs and benefits when crafting regulations. It's easy to see how a rule imposing new pollution limits on power plants or limiting destruction of wetlands will cost industry money, but the environmental benefits of those protections haven't always been methodically counted and can make it harder to justify those regulations. Now, according to new guidance released on Tuesday, the White House may start requiring federal agencies to fully assess how their decisions impact ecosystems, and specifically how those ecosystems serve the public. For more on this new guidance and its impact, we chat with Jean Chemnick from Politico's e News. It's Thursday, August 3rd. So on Tuesday, OMB and the Office of Science and Technology Policy put out the first ever guidance that it tells agencies across the federal government that they're supposed to look at something called ecosystem services. And this is the benefits from nature that people enjoy. It's economic benefits, things like, you know, recreation as an industry or actually real estate or various industries that depend on clean environment for their existence, but then also welfare benefits, cultural experiences, clean water, health, you know, in certain cases, even religious values, in the case often of of Native American tribes that have practices that are associated with certain landscapes. These are things that some agencies have considered in the past and some haven't, and there hasn't ever been a government-wide directive to look at those things when weighing regulations or lease sales or the myriad different uh, federal actions that different agencies engage in and that they do these cost-benefit analyses to help them make decisions and also to explain those decisions to the public. So the economic piece of it seems fairly straightforward, but some of what you described sounded a little bit squishier. How does this guidance direct agencies to consider something like spiritual benefits of a forest? Sure. Well, I mean, there's sort of three ways to evaluate different benefits. You can either monetize it, assign an economic value to this outcome, or you can quantify it, provide some other metric to give a sense of the scope of this outcome, or you can just sort of describe it qualitatively, which some regulatory experts say is sort of the weakest option because it's very difficult to compare it next to compliance costs or some of the other outcomes of an action that are much more easy to assign a dollar amount to. So these squishier benefits, frequently they probably would just be described. But there may be cases actually where a particular natural feature supports recreation industry or a particular town or, you know, it's tax base, and you actually could find a way to monetize those benefits. And so this sort of tells agencies that even if they think that the project that they're weighing doesn't necessarily impact these values, that they should think more broadly, think along wider time horizon, and make sure that they're not having an unintended consequence that would undermine some of these benefits. 
Got it. So help me understand a little bit more clearly what this actually means in practice. What kinds of projects stand to be impacted if this guidance is finalized? And do we have a good read on how this would sort of impact the final decision? Well, I mean, cost-benefit analyses don't always determine the decision. It's one aspect of what an agency looks at. An agency under most laws is allowed to make a decision that isn't dictated by a cost-benefit analysis. Having said that, the process of going through this assessment may be persuasive to federal decision makers or for decisions that are sort of on the margin, it might, you know, change the outcome of a decision making process. And there are a lot of these examples of of allocating federal dollars, of making regulatory decisions or leasing decisions, where agencies would just need to take a more holistic view of what the effect on nature would be and how that could affect communities. So how different is this from what the federal government was doing before? Had we just been completely ignoring the value of ecosystems? No, I mean, some agencies did it better than others. Some administrations looked more comprehensively than others. There just was never a a government-wide directive on this. The Obama administration did put out a memorandum to agencies saying, you know, this exists, you should start thinking about it, you should come up with a plan for your own agency to think about these things. But, you know, I actually spoke to somebody who was a director at CEQ under Obama, Timothy Mal, and he said that, you know, it didn't really go too much further than that, and not much happened with it under the Trump administration. So it never really progressed to a a real recipe for how you would make these considerations. And that's what this is attempting to do. There are even like recommendations for how you convert some of these things into monetize them, convert them into dollar values. You know, they're just sort of a bit of a template for agencies about how they would go about considering these things. Also, the Inflation Reduction Act's clean energy incentives might speed up coal's exit from the grid and boost carbon capture projects, but the law won't come close to keeping the United States on track with goals under the Paris Climate Agreement, which calls for net zero emissions by 2050. That's according to a new analysis Wednesday from Bloomberg NEF Models, which looks at multiple scenarios on how the IRA could affect the country's transition to lower carbon forms of energy. The models all found that the IRA alone won't achieve climate policy goals. That's a conclusion shared by several other recent studies as well. By the way, Politico has a new podcast. Politico Tech is your daily download on the disruption that technology is bringing to politics and policy. Today, Stephen Overly interviews Republican Senator Todd Young, who is one of three senators that Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has picked to form a bipartisan plan for dealing with AI. You can find Politico Tech wherever you get your podcasts. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com slash power switch. And subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder, I'm Annie Snyder, and we'll see you back tomorrow. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Chevron knows developing and deploying carbon capture and storage is a critical step in helping make progress towards global net zero, which is why we're targeting 25 million tons of CO2 per year in storage and offsets by the end of the decade. That's energy in progress.
Visit chevron.com slash carbon capture.